0: This morning, we're in chapter 1 of Titus. It's a short book in the New Testament, just about three chapters, right before Timothy, I believe. This Missions Conference, our theme is Mentorship in Missions. You know, when I first met Pastor David in 2011, I hardly knew anything about living as a member of a church body. I was still finding my feet as a new Christian even. I knew I wanted to learn more about the Bible. I couldn't put it into so many words, but after a few years, Pastor David recognized that desire as a call to full-time ministry in me. After several years of part-time Bible education, uh, I left journalism. My previous career that I'd been in almost 10 years of my life including the studying. At that point, I started my Ministry Apprenticeship Program, or MAP for short. Many of you will remember. Many of you will remember Pastor Stimbiso also going through MAP. A big part of that was something that Pastor David called 1,000 conversations. We would talk. We would talk about the Bible. We would talk about books that we've read. We talk about the ministry. We talk about family. We talk about politics and entertainment, about finances, about current affairs. We would talk about all kinds of things. I would travel with him to go by wood in Pretoria. He had a part-time furniture-making uh, thing, and I would travel with him to Pretoria. We would talk on the way. I would sit with him in his workshop while he was sanding wood and uh, carving things out of wood, and we would talk. Part of this was that he would send me and Corline to other churches for several days, and I would talk with the pastors there, and I would watch, and I would learn, and I would ask questions. I drove with Pastor Cal Lewis everywhere. I drove with him to the shop, and we would talk. You see, he has a heart for mentorship. Something that I think is so easily overlooked in modern day pastoral training and missionary training. I hear stories of men finishing seminary with no home church, almost no prior experience in any practical ministry, with no mentors getting on an airplane and going to start a church halfway across the world. You might as well (laughs) send a soldier into battle without a gun, to be unprepared for a journey ahead. Yes, they have the Bible knowledge, But it's so much more than that. Mentorship. This year, our missions conference, as I said, is called Mentorship in Missions. I believe mentorship to be an integral part of being a missions-minded church. My hope was to hear from someone who is currently being mentored, Lebo from Community Bible Church and his wife. He doesn't know yet where the Lord would ultimately have him, but he has great mentors in his life. I wanted to hear how those mentors are guiding him and influencing him in his walk to full-time ministry. Because I remember my training so well, I'm fresh off the bus, I remember it clearly, and I value it to this day. So it's not the Lord's will that they join us today, and we'll continue to pray for them. But today I want us to look in our Bibles and explore the biblical basis of of the mentorship relationship that we strive to form as a missions-minded church. Today, we're specifically looking at Titus chapter 1. And Paul is writing to Titus in the churches of Crete about training and establishing godly men to lead these churches. Paul had a heart for mentorship as well. Whether it was Timothy or Titus, he had so many spiritual sons, and he had such a great capacity to love. So Titus chapter 1 establishes the qualifications of these potential pastors, that Titus would be tasked with mentoring, with growing and with training. It mirrors the qualifications from 1 Timothy very closely. And so today, I want us all to be reminded of these qualifications. Someone someone among us, one day, tomorrow, a week from now, next year, is going to have the desire... To go into full-time ministry. Someone is going to be gifted with a desire to teach. Someone is going to be gifted with a desire to evangelize. Someone, one day, it is my hope that we're around long enough that we ordain another missionary from this church. Me and, me and pastors and be so, are only the beginning. As we are about to see from this chapter, I believe <clears throat> that to be missions-minded, we have to be mentor-minded. And it starts here among us. So we'll look at his calling, we'll consider the qualities that he looks for in potential leaders, and then we'll consider some of the obstacles that they face. So let's read from verse 5 to verse 16. And get into it. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you sh- should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. Any man who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children who are not <coughs> accused of being wild or unruly, for an overseer must be blameless. As a steward of God, not self-willed, not easily angered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not greedy for dishonest gain, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, self-controlled, just, holy, temperate, holding firmly the trustworthy word that is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able to exhort with sound doctrine and to convince those who oppose it. For there are many unruly men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced, who subvert the whole house by teaching for dishonest gain, things that they ought not to teach. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and idle gluttons. This witness is true, so rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths, or commandments of men who reject the truth. But the pure but to the pure all things are pure. To those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, even their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess that they know God, but in their deeds they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and worthless every good work dear lord we do thank you for your word and we thank you that we can learn from it in this way and as a church grow in jesus name amen (coughs) so what are the qualities that a mentor must grow (coughs) Titus had a big task ahead of him. Crete was an island in the middle of the Mediterranean with many towns and several port cities. Each city, uh, it seems, had a growing nucleus of believers that needed structure and organization and ultimately they needed a leader or leadership. It was his task to find men with these qualities or rather the potential for these qualities among the believers there and appoint them as such. <clears throat> I don't think, based on reading the rest of the chapter, that this appointment, appoint leaders, was a momentary act, was now you are the leader of the church. <clears throat> I believe that Paul is referring to the process of mentorship when he says appoint leaders. Titus didn't go to Crete with a bunch of newly graduated seminary students from the Baptist Union and just assign a church to everyone. He was instructed to raise up to grow and to cultivate these leadership qualities in those who have been called to lead. <coughs> Let's look at some the pastors and their families. A faithful husband <coughs> and a good father. The family and the house is a microcosm of the church. It says as much in Timothy. <coughs> A reflection, or the management of a household has a direct reflection on how a pastor is able to shepherd and lead the church. So for me, for example, to be a faithful husband, I love my wife dearly with all my heart. <clears throat> I know it can be a pain sometimes, but I hope that she thinks of me as a good husband. I try to put her needs before my own. I try to consider her and value her thoughts and opinions, that we're a team. I try to protect her. I I try to be a good husband. It's our anniversary today, actually. We've been married for 12 years and it's the second year that we've had our anniversary on the missions conference. So, uh, maybe I should stop doing that. Uh, I'm grateful for her. But when we are looking among those to mentor, there should be something Not that we just automatically expect someone to miraculously be or have, but to guide them to be good husbands. I'm gonna be honest with you. I would like to go back in time 10 years and rick some sense into the person who I was 10 years ago when I married her. I was a child. Hopefully, I grew and got a little bit better at the job. Not that it's a job, <laughs> but you know what I mean. A good father. You know, perhaps you think it's not entirely fair to to put somebody's own will and decision and personality on the pastor. Should he really be disqualified for? Uh, Rebellion of his children. Well. Not quite. But. I believe what it's saying here. Especially as children get older. I know. My dear daughter is not perfect. And. She. she, um, She has a lot to learn. And hopefully. We're doing our best to teach them. She makes a lot of mistakes. As do we. What it's saying here is that when a man or the parents act in a certain way, the children are looking to us as example. You'd be surprised at the things that they overhear. You'd be surprised at the things that you do that they notice and pick up on. We were having a conversation in the kitchen, and she like chimed in from her room. Like, we didn't even know we were speaking loud enough for her to hear us. We were just talking. But they are watching us, parents, very diligently. If we are a certain way, to some degree or an extent, that will influence and shape them. So as a mentor, the example that I lead likewise influences and shapes the actions of the, person, of the people that I'm called to lead, to guide, to shepherd. That's what it's saying. It goes on the pastors and their character. And it starts identifying a much broader range of uh, uh, encompassing qualities that don't come naturally. They have to be shepherded and mentored and guided. Notice how it puts it in the negative. It said, again, be blameless. It uses that word again, and it said... Not be self willed. Not be easily angered, given to drunkenness, not violent, not greedy for dishonest gain. I've collected those qualities into three things here. To not be self serving. If you're self willed and you're easily angered, (laughs) it means. That you think yourself better than your other common fellow man or human. (laughs) To not be self serving, to not be self righteous, not violent or greedy. I deserve more than you do. And to not be self indulgent. I think these qualities touch so much of what we do and say and so much of what shapes us as Christians and as people. And this should be something that the leaders of our churches should commit themselves to. How many... Scandals do we hear on the news of pastors doing this. <clears throat> pastors abusing their wives, verbally abusing their families, neglecting their, uh, their loved ones, acting um, dishonestly with church funds and, and church resources. <clears throat> And these are the men that we look to, that we trust to guide and to help us. A pastor and their study of Scripture. Listen to this. A pastor is a, b- a-, a mentor, a church leaders' ability to interpret and teach the Bible is an essential part of their calling. Holding firmly the trustworthy word that is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able to exhort with sound doctrine and to convince those who oppose it. Pastors need to know their Bibles. And guess what? That's not something that we just magically wake up with in the morning. We have to learn it. We have to dedicate ourselves to to the study of it, as every Christian should. And we need people in our lives to help us with that. I heard a very scary story. I spoke to the man personally, so I know it's true. He he was a church leader. um, Not a church leader. uh, On the worship team, a song leader. In a very big church that shall not be named. And... um, So he was good at leading music, okay? That was his only uh, talent, or not talent, but that was what he did in the church. And then the leadership asked him, listen, we need you to go and start a church in South Africa, a campus church. So the same branding, the same, you know, uh, interior decorating, You, you know what I'm talking about. He was chosen because he could play the guitar. And then they sent him on a four-week church planting course and then put him on a plane to South Africa. While starting this church, following the handbook, getting people to come in, the man that was leading this church, that was standing up every Sunday preaching, didn't know his Bible. He had he had never actually read it. He wanted to do a good job. So he started reading his Bible. Started. <coughs> and he realized that he didn't know any of it. He was... He felt unqualified. <coughs> he started... Preaching more biblically, he had to self-teach. He had to teach himself how to do expository preaching, which that church didn't do. The moment he started actually preaching what the Word said, instead of preaching a feel-good, shallow, uh, lift-me-up motivational speech, people started leaving the church. The Lord used that to call this man to full time ministry. And I met him at seminary. He was studying the Bible. Unfortunately, that's common, that's the norm. The congregation <laughs> do not look and hold the pastor accountable to the biblical qualifications. But worse, the people that were responsible for mentoring and helping and teaching that man left him out to dry, kicked him off the side of the ship, and expected, I don't know what they expected. That's a true story. Paul goes on to talk about the uh, the opposing uh, people that come into our church. the The reason that the people we look to for leadership must possess these qualities and must possess their Bible knowledge, it says. Um, who must be silenced. They were unruly men, empty talkers and deceivers. Who subvert the whole house by teaching for dishonest gain. So we see something else coming in. Not congregants at the back of the row that... Whisper um, decisive things to the man next to them. It says people that teach for dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet, a proclaimer of the truth. That's what the word prophecy means. It doesn't mean seeing uh, the future. It means uh, proclaiming the truth for an overseer must be, um, sorry, no, I'm jumping back, um, Empty. Disk. it says, especially of those of the circumcision. <coughs> so, for the first time in history, the church and God's people were more than just the Jews. It was um, Gentiles, Greeks, and Romans, and, and people from all over the world <coughs> forming one local body. Now, imagine a Jew having to be under the authority of a possible Gentile Greek pastor. You think, you think I seemed unqualified. <laughs> that uh, that it, it was rough for the early church. We think that the early church was this perfect utopia and the, and the height of example that we should all look to, they had it rough. They had their problems. We're grateful that we can learn from that. So people, because the congregation, he warns them, if you do not hold your leadership accountable, if you do not test the, the people that you look up to With these qualifications, what you're going to get is people that deceive you. You open yourselves up that they may dishonestly gain from your naivety, from your lack of discernment, from your lack of, not you, but uh, any church. Says, so rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who reject the truth. Paul, in the next chapters, <clears throat> gives Titus a blueprint on how to establish this leadership, how groups within the church need to uh, coexist, and relationships. These letters were meant to be read to the church. It wasn't only a private letter to Titus. It was meant so that wherever Titus went, he would read it publicly to the church, so that the church would hold him accountable for selecting and training and mentoring their leaders. My message this morning for you, we have been trading water for a long time, I think. We have been trying to <clears throat> find ourselves again these last two years, and we have. I do think we have. My hope is that we start looking at the things that we've had to move to the side. We start looking at greater evangelism opportunities. We start giving attention and focus to our missionaries again and the work that they do. But more importantly, we as a church must keep this in mind because missions doesn't start with us sending money and praying for someone far away. It starts when we look out amongst ourselves and we identify those who are called to ministry. And then we take responsible, godly action and guide them and grow them and shepherd them and ordain them and send them out. That's where, that's where it starts. The missionaries that we support, they come from churches. Are, they didn't just pop out of the ground. They came from churches that grew them and that taught them and that prayed for them. So what qualifies someone like that? Well, it's not age. It's not even experience. There was a man that developed a software program, and a company put out an ad for a job listing for the software, <coughs> and they said, five years' experience in this, uh, in this program. And the person that invented the software, developed it, replied to the ad and said, it seems that even I am not qualified because I only developed the software two years ago. <laughs> what qualifies us? It's not experience. It's not, it, it certainly helps, but it's not what qualifies us or disqualifies us. It's not age. <clears throat> We as a church, you need to keep me accountable and we need to apply this to the missionaries that we support as well. But more importantly, one day, I believe the Lord is going to call someone from this church to full-time ministry. And it is our responsibility to be mentors. If one generation, just one generation does not teach the next generation about Christ. Christianity will be extinct. But we know the Lord preserves His church and the gospel grows exponentially every day because of faithful people that share the word. Part of evangelism is to grow those that come after us. Let's pray now. I know we had planned to go to half past, but we'll have Lebo and Ruth join us, perhaps in January, uh, to preach for us. We'd like to hear from them and hear their testimony. We thank you, Spring Valley, for being here. Pastor Mbiso and, and lovely wife Trifine to being with us. We thank you that we could fellowship together as believers and be reminded of God's great commission for his church, for us to make disciples of all nations. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you have called us to do, the responsibility that you have given us. I pray that our work may be effective not in ways that we can see or measure or judge for ourselves, but Lord that you in your in your all-knowing wisdom can see. I pray that we may be good and faithful and I pray that Lord, willing that you send us people with a heart for ministry and that when that day comes, we will be ready to be mentors to them. We thank you for this wonderful privilege and opportunity to serve you. And we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's stand for our doxology hymn